1: The following program contains adult content,
0: explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised.
1: And it contains murder, lots and lots of murder.
2: You stinking bastard! People tell me, "Are you going to go down, and go to hell?" I guess I'm not alone. Nine hundred and eleven, worst for your emergency. Oh, this is Katie. We're pretty one look. Back to the road. Send the, the police? <laughs> police!
1: And he goes, don't be a hero, mate. And I said, I'm not trying to be a hero, but the police are coming. One in
0: the chest, one in the hip. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, I would have nailed Carl Williams' hands to a coffee table and just, and just pull it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a one-way bottom level. A cherub face, cherub face little boy who, 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 who's, who's alive with me. I harm someone each time. I kill someone to be an enormous amount of, uh, it, especially at first, an enormous amount of, of, of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards, but then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger.
1: Dodgy Jess business owners John Hawkins and Melvin Hanson had been cashing in on insurance scams since the early 1980s. After running their company into the ground with reckless spending, they came up with a scam to end all scams. They decided to take out over a million dollars in life insurance on Melvin Hanson and then fake his death for the insurance money.
0: To do so, they convinced their friend and fellow con artist, Californian neurologist Dr Richard Boggs, to join them in their scheme. Now all they needed was a dead man who resembled Melvin Hansen, and they intended to find one, even if it meant killing him themselves.
1: Hi, I'm Barney Black.
0: And I'm Tara Saraban. And
1: this is Bloody Murder Season 4, 2020.
0: We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser-known crime stories from Australia.
1: And indeed around the globe.
0: Now being a comedy true crime podcast, we use dark humour as a means to tell horrifying stories. Though they're never at the expense of the victims or their families, we do make jokes.
1: If you think humour has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder will not be the podcast for you.
0: There are a lot of great, serious true crime podcasts out there, and your time may be better spent listening to them instead.
1: Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. We've had loads of new ones join our new fancy Patreon program over the holiday break, which we will thank individually after our story.
0: If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com or you could search for us on Patreon.
1: As a patron, you have access to dozens of other episodes, including our eclectic and ear-bleeding early stuff. It's pretty hard to take. (laughs) But... You get ad-free versions of all our regular episodes too.
0: As well as exclusive monthly uncensored patron-only episodes where we really let loose.
1: Levels above $5 receive free stickers and handmade Barney badges.
0: And of course, you are automatically entered into the draw for our monthly giveaways.
1: Alright, I know a lot of people have been waiting for these words for a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alright, Tara, let's get murdery.
0: At 7.15 a.m. on April 16, 1988, paramedics arrived at the Glendale, California practice of neurologist Dr. Richard P. Boggs. He led them to the body of a man lying on the floor of his office who he said had died of a heart attack. Dr. Boggs said the corpse was 46-year-old Ohio business owner Melvin Hanson, who had been a patient of his for seven years.
1: Hey, hang on Tara. His name is Dr. Dick P. Boggs.
0: Yeah, I figured you wouldn't be able to go past that.
1: His name is essentially Dr. Dicky Urine Poo Poo.
0: Look, you can feel free to call him that, but uh, I'm not going to.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't doubt it. When police arrived on the scene, Dr. Boggs told them that Melvin Eugene Hansen, who went by the name Gene, had called him at home at 3.30am and complained of having intense chest pains like an elephant was sitting on his sternum. Dr Boggs wondered how the hell an elephant would be able to fit through the doors of his house and then advised Gene to go to a hospital. But Gene refused to go because apparently he hated hospitals.
1: Did he call animal control?
0: Well, he probably would have been better off if he did. Dr Boggs told the officers Gene came into his office at around 5am and he gave him an EKG or electrocardiogram. Uh, For those not in the know, an EKG measures your heart's activity and how fast the heart is beating. An abnormal EKG can mean many things, bad things.
1: Dr Boggs said that when he was out of the room briefly, he heard a thud and found Jean had collapsed on the floor. He claimed to have commenced CPR immediately and tried to call 911 but was unable to get through as he received a busy signal. He said he kept going with CPR for another 45 minutes, then tried 911 again. This time his call was answered. I mean, that's fishier than a trout farm slash aquarium. It's incredibly unusual, Tara, to get a busy signal when you call emergency services, especially at that hour.
0: And if you do get one, for real, it's advised that you keep calling back until you get through. The best thing to do in that situation isn't to, you know, try again in about an hour.
1: No, you wouldn't think so. Now, when police searched through the pockets of the corpse, they found he had some credit cards in the name of Melvin G. Hanson in his wallet And he also had a photocopy of a birth certificate in this name.
0: Now, do you happen to carry a copy of your birth certificate on your person, Barney?
1: Well, Tara, I currently have a copy of not only mine, but also your birth certificate in my jorts pocket and also a copy of my Grade 4 report tucked into my Star Wars undies.
0: Well, that sounds fishier than a pelican's breath, but also quite helpful, as I can never find my birth certificate when I need it. Also... You're a bit of a creepy critter, aren't you?
1: Takes one, I wonder. Yeah, your
0: little Star Wars undies. Fuck off.
1: The two cops who came and interviewed Boggs were also dubious of the doctor's nonsensical tale and noticed discrepancies in the story he told them. Now, Tara, both had more medical knowledge than is usual for a cop. Officer Lowry's father was a cardiologist and Officer Sproul was married to a nurse. Neither of the cops believed that the body on the floor had been dead for only two hours. Rigor mortis had already set in, which usually takes around four hours to start. Am I right, Tara?
0: You are always right, Barney.
1: The officers also thought Boggs was telling Porky Pies about his original 911 call because the emergency line was never busy at that hour. The EKG also had a strong aroma of
0: fish. Yeah, they're not meant to smell like fish.
1: Boggs said he had to run the EKG on Gene shortly after 5am, yet the EKG tape showed that it had been taken at 12.02am, which is a bizarre time to give anyone an EKG, even in California.
0: <laughs> and why would someone with chest pains go to a neurologist? I mean, their specialty is treating disorders that affect the brain, spinal cord and nerves. You're not going to go, I'm having a heart attack, I'm going to call a neurologist. That's
1: like buying a tropical fish at IKEA.
0: It is, because you have to put it together yourself and it's Uh, really painstakingly difficult. They
1: probably do sell tropical fish now. Bad analogy, Barney. Bad.
0: (laughs) Get in your prayer closet. Dr Boggs was taken to the Glendale Police Department for further questioning. The police photographed and fingerprinted the body. Then it was taken to the LA County Coroner's Office for an autopsy. The coroner ruled that the cause of death was indeed a heart attack. Because the death was deemed to be from natural causes, the Glendale Police did not investigate the case further. But two investigative journalists from the Dispatch newspaper in Columbus, Ohio, had no such constraints. Catherine Kandisky and Robin Yoakam worked this case like a pair of dogged detectives. They wrote a book about it called Insured for Murder, which we used as our main source for this episode. Check it out. The coroner's report revealed that the deceased had a blood alcohol level of 0.29 and the coroner suspected that Dr. Boggs may have sexually assaulted him after he was dead, which could explain why it took him so long to call 911. Interesting. The police report stated that Dr. Boggs had previously been accused of attacking another man in his office under similar circumstances, but we'll get into that later.
1: Let's kick off with some background on the quack, that is Doctor Dick P. Boggs. Richard Pride Boggs was born on May 15, 1933, in Hot Springs, Dakota. He was the oldest of three sons, and his family moved around a fair bit as his father worked for oil drilling companies. The family settled in Glendale, where Boggsy graduated high school in 1951. Not coming from rich stock meant Boggsy had to work his way through college, like the rest of us.
0: Yeah, like most of us, Boggsy.
1: He got a BA in zoology from the University of California in 1956, Tara. Then he attended the College of Medical Evangelists in Loma Linda, California.
0: A BA in zoology, huh? Well, maybe that's the problem.
1: Although I guess it means he did know a lot of stuff about elephants. During this period, Boggs embraced the strict rules of the Adventist lifestyle and didn't drink, smoke, eat meat, or have fun of any kind. He did, though, date a woman named Lola Cleveland and married her shortly before graduating from medical school. Lola supported them working as a math teacher while Boggsy finished his studies. The couple adopted two boys who were born a week apart, who they named as Dana and Kevin and raised as twins.
0: Like Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: No, not like that at all. Pity. Dr Boggs became the youngest chief of neurology at Rancho Los Amigos Hospital in Downey, California. He and Lola added two more children to their brood when she gave birth to a daughter, Heather, and a son, Jonathan.
0: Not Tango and Cash? No. Ah, pity.
1: Boggs bought a fancy-ass Tudor mansion and had a nearly life-sized portrait of himself hung beside an even bigger one of Lola. They threw teetotaling parties for colleagues that raged on to the wee hours of 8pm under the judgeful eye of their gigantic portraits.
0: Let the good times roll! Indeed. In 1970, Boggs helped start Satellite Health Systems, which was one of the first health maintenance organisations in the United States. This earned him praise from former President Richard M. Nixon. How's that for some dick on dick action, hey Barney?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how to answer that, Tara. In
0: 1972, Boggs also started a private practice in Glendale. Everything was coming up Boggsy. He had a successful career, a loving family and a sweet life-size portrait, which, if he played his cards right, he might be able to show off to Richard Nixon one day. What could possibly go wrong? Hey, Tricky Dicky, you want to have a look at my painting? <laughs> hey, Tricky Dicky, want to look at my piggy?
1: <laughs> look, I'm guessing there's going to be loads of stuff that's going to go wrong for Bogsy.
0: Yeah, well, you know, because of Bogsy, there's a load of stuff that goes wrong. Satellite health systems grew quickly, but wasn't making a profit. Then Bog's stellar reputation as a neurologist took a beating after more than 40 lawsuits for malpractice against him were filed due to botched operations and claims that he performed unnecessary surgeries. Living well beyond his means, like a penguin who thought he'd won the lottery and spent all his money on a round-the-world tobogganing trip, Dr Dick Bog started sliding into debt. (laughs) Woo.
1: <laughs> no, that's not the fun. It's not fun sliding into debt. Sliding no. is normally fun.
0: Yeah, no, not into debt. Not when I do it anyway. When Boggs declared bankruptcy in 1976, he was millions of dollars in the hole, owing money to the US Small Business Administration, banks, leasing agencies and friends. Those close to him say that Boggs was never the same again. If that wasn't enough, Boggs and Lola's marriage imploded and they got divorced in 1978.
1: Unencumbered by a pesky heterosexual marriage, Boggs came out as being gay, to a degree. It's not like he told his patients or hired a sky rider or anything, but he started hanging out in gay bars. Boggs said it wasn't until he was in his thirties that he realized he was homosexual. He bought a condo in West Hollywood, gave up the Adventist way of life, and guzzled cocktails and ate all the meat he wanted to.
0: Ah, the emancipation of Boggsy.
1: That's right. All that repression of his desires early in his life had turned Boggs into a Caligula level hedonist.
0: Mm hmm. He liked all kinds of uh, drugs too. Hey, baby. Hey.
1: His ex wife Lola, she was not impressed and had to sue him to get him to pay child support. And she told the courts that he'd threatened to kill her several times. Yeah,
0: it's not cool, Boggsy.
1: Not cool, Boggsy. Boggs spent his days and nights chasing toy boys and was loose with scripts which meant he'd write you a prescription for anything in exchange for sex or money. Employees at his office said he had sex worker boys come in for appointments. While grumpy patients waited outside, the good doctor would be curing himself of the horniness that ailed him. He paid the young men for their services and also billed their insurance companies for payments as well. Getting laid and getting paid. It's a Dr. Bogsy way! The receptionist for the doctor in the office next to Boggs told police about a peculiar chemical odour coming through the walls at times, which investigators later determined was the smell of methamphetamine. So, yeah, Tara, Renaissance man Bogsy was running a meth lab too.
0: Ah, breaking Boggs-y. <laughs> Hey. As we mentioned earlier, Dr Boggs had previously been known to Glendale Police for allegedly assaulting a man. On April 1st, two weeks before Jean Hansen's apparent death, Dr. Boggs attacked a 44 year old computer programmer from Hollywood during an after hours office visit. Barry Pomeroy was 5 foot 11 and weighed 144 pounds. He had brown hair and brownish green eyes, which was a similar description to what was written on Gene Hansen's driver's license. Barry was playing pool at a gay bar called The Spike on Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood when he met Dr. Boggs. Boggs told Barry his name was Dr Peter Richards.
1: Even his fake name is Dr Dick.
0: He invited Barry to have a late dinner with him at 2am. They got into Boggs's fancy black Cadillac and drove to an all-night restaurant called Theodore's. Barry told the dispatch newspaper that Boggs was a wonderful conversationalist. He said he was passionate about architecture and after dinner they drove around looking at new high-rise buildings then stopped at Dr Boggs's office as he said he needed to call a patient. Barry wasn't thinking at the time that 3.30am would be a ridiculous hour to do so because the sweet pharmaceuticals Boggs had gifted him had kicked in. Hey baby. When Boggs gave Barry a tour of his office, Barry noticed that the certificates hanging on the office walls were all in the name of Dr Richard Boggs and none were in the name of Dr Peter Richards. Boggs dropped Barry home at 4am and they exchanged phone numbers. Boggs called a few days later and they organised to have dinner the next Friday night. When Friday night rolled around, as they headed to a seafood restaurant in Glendale, Dr Boggs told Barry he needed to stop by his office first, again to call a patient. While he did so, Barry looked around the examination rooms. Bogsy then offered to give Barry an EKG.
1: I mean, who on their right mind would say no to a free EKG?
0: I would. I want a free EKG when I want free KFC, which is never.
1: Well, Barry couldn't, and let Dick Boggs put suctions on his chest and legs, which connected him to the machine. After looking at the printed results, the doctor said Barry's
0: heart was in good shape. Heart-shaped, was it?
1: Yeah, pointy down the bottom mm-hmm. and two half circles on the top. Yeah. That's, that's the way they look.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how they look.
1: Barry was putting his shirt back on when Boggs approached him and reached out as if to hug him. Barry went to hug him back. After all, he seemed like a nice bloke and the drugs he'd given Barry earlier were in full effect.
0: Yeah, Boggs seemed cool. Free EKG. He deserved a hug. Yeah, nah, he didn't.
1: No, he didn't. When Barry hugged him back, Boggs started jabbing him in the back with a stun gun. The stun gun was a little box around the size of a pack of cigarettes with two steel prongs sticking out one end. It hurt like hell and it cut Barry's neck. Despite Barry's insistence that Boggs stop it, he kept lunging at him with the stun gun. Barry later told media, At first I thought he was into some kind of kinky sex, but it just became so intense. Then I realised he was trying to kill me. Barry fought back and managed to overpower the not-so-good doctor. Afterwards, Boggs said, Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. I have these spells sometimes. I'm going to get help.
0: I wonder what kind of help one seeks for stun gun attack spells.
1: Well, Tara, getting rid of the stun gun might be a good starting point.
0: I think that would be a great starting point.
1: Boggs offered to stitch up the cut on Barry's neck, but Barry told him to sensibly fuck off.
0: (laughs) Excuse me, sir, will you sensibly fuck off? (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: right. However, Barry did let the doctor drive him home. He said by then Boggs seemed to have calmed down. When he dropped him off, Boggs gave Barry some more freeze sedatives as a peace offering. Boggs called him a few days later to see how he was doing, but Barry told him firmly not to call again.
0: Barry wasn't initially going to report this assault to the police, but a friend convinced him to do so. As there was no physical evidence, the attack wasn't reported until a week afterwards, and the doctor was a respected member of the community, authorities wrote the incident off as being a lover's spat and decided not to prosecute the case. Barry went pale to the core when Kathy Kandisky from the dispatch told him that if he hadn't managed to fight Boggs off, he might've ended up dead on the floor of Boggs's office, which begged the question, who was the dead man on the floor of Dr Boggs' office? Was it you, Barney?
1: No, it wasn't me. We'll be back with more Dr Boggs and the Just Sweats life insurance murder after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, potato, (laughs) banana peel or song or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itch. Are you itchy, Tarby? I bet you've been itchy for like six weeks. (laughs) You can record your voice, just do it on your phone or play it or write it and I'll probably read it out. And we have one here from the one and only Lorraine Ledwell from Wales. And she recorded her review.
0: Yes, we love it when people do that. Yeah, I don't have to read it. It's yeah, great. it's amazing. It. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. And it's on the book, My Life with Murderers by Professor David Wilson.
0: Many people will already know and love Lorraine as she's the admin for our Facebook group and just an all-round wonderful human being.
1: I oh, hear she's a great dancer too.
2: Yeah. Right. I, I reckon she's good at everything.
1: Yeah, let's hear it.
2: Hi, guys, it's Lorraine. So, I've been reading, well, audiobook really, My Life with Murderers, which is a book of memoirs, you could call it, by a renowned criminologist Professor David Wilson, who was one time governor at a number of prisons, including the notorious Werner Scrubs. In it, he muses on some of his encounters and he reflects on his understanding of murderers, discussing spree and serial murders, hit hitmen in depth and the various personality types and social circumstances that could be responsible for such horrible acts. Looking at their backgrounds, he tries to find logic or sense in abhorrent behaviours contemplating whether childhood experiences have a lasting effect and some in such a negative way that it leads to committing such crimes. He meanders through the story in in a thread that only a time traveller would be proud of and alongside charting the evolution of prison service and being an advocate for rehabilitation, he explains how effective these reforms can be, or not in some circumstances. Prof Dave, as I like to call him, is an expert in the screw-turned-academic field. But what I liked about him is not hiding the fact that he sometimes gets it wrong. One of my favourite parts of the story is where a professor recounts a meeting with Dennis Nilsson in a room, a cell I suppose it was, painted in pink and grey in order to create, quotes a feeling of tranquillity. Yet one wears a range of furniture against the wall in order to make a quick getaway and has clearly noted the panic button under the desk within easy reach. It's an honest book and one that will leave you with better insight into the world of criminology and evidence based practices, as well as questioning whether a naked Charles Manson could actually stab a prison guard with his moustache, as well as Googling where the nearest furries convention could be. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for your time. Bye. Thanks, Lorraine. That was awesome. It was indeed.
1: That book was My Life with Murderers by Professor David Wilson, the details of which will be in the show notes. Now, if you'd like to contribute to True Crime Nerd Time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to submit.
0: And now for part two of Dr Boggs and the Just Sweats Life Insurance Murder.
1: Who was the dead man on Dr Boggs' floor, Tara. Well, according to the ID in his pockets, he was Melvin Eugene Hansen. Gene Hansen was born on October 8, 1941, in Ocala, Florida. His parents broke up when he was two years old and his little brother Donald was still a baby. His mother was a telephone operator and worked at a drive-in restaurant while their grandmother watched the boys. Gene was raised in a very religious household as his grandfather was a Baptist minister. This complicated matters when Gene realised he was sexually attracted to other males. Gene graduated from high school in 1960 and studied business at Florida State University for two years. Lots of spreadsheets. Then he enlisted in the army. He planned to finish university on the government's dime after he completed his service but he never got around to it. Being raised in an environment where he was repeatedly told that homosexuality was a sin, messed with young Gene's head. In an attempt to bury his homosexual urges and live as a straight man, he even went to a psychiatrist to try and get straightened out. But it didn't work.
0: And nor should it have to. No. From
1: 1979 to 1984, Gene was the shoe buyer for the prestigious Los Angeles department store called Robinson's. Flashy dresser Jean wore expensive Italian silk suits and smoked like a chimney. He also ate what a co-worker described as a strange diet of pizza and eggs.
0: Ah, the pizza and egg diet, that's very popular with supermodels.
1: It is it is? Imagine he's fat.
0: Ah, oh, well don't no. Look, not to worry, those expensive Italian silk suits will keep them restrained.
1: Can expensive Italian silk do that though, Tara? No. Can they? Can no. they?
0: No. No. Yeah. I was lying. Jean hadn't been in touch with his mother, Catherine Lawley, for 13 years before his apparent death. His mother and her pastor had big issues with Jean's sexuality and refused to accept it. She told the press, I just don't understand what makes a person that way. And we don't understand how people can be homophobic, so the confusion cuts both ways, Catherine. Jean had met Dr Boggs in the early 1980s and they had a lot in common. They were both party boys with a hunger for making a quick buck. The pair worked several scams together over the years and were under investigation in 1988 for selling a growth hormone called Protroptin. Protroptin was traditionally used to treat children who suffered from a growth deficiency and it was illegal to prescribe it to adults but it had other uses too. It was taken by athletes trying to fight the aging process and was also believed to be an effective treatment for AIDS. Injections of the drug sold for up to $500 on the streets. Dr. Boggs wrote prescriptions in Gene's child nephew's name, which Gene would get filled, sometimes traveling interstate to do so in an effort to avoid detection. Gene was no stranger to scamming. In fact, if he'd worked as hard at a job as he did at scamming, he could have been rich for realsies. He and his business partner, John Hawkins, were both involved in several money-making schemes over the years. The money from one of these schemes was how the men managed to fund their leisure wear company, Just Sweats. Gene had met Hawkins, who was 20 years his junior, when Hawkins was working at Studio 54 in New York as a bartender. Studio 54 was the place to be for anyone who was or wanted to be someone. Regulars included Andy Warhol, Grace Jones, Mick Jagger and a who's who from the music and film industries. Gene and Hawkins made an odd pair. The ageing homosexual and the young buck pants man who banged every pretty blonde young woman who came into his orbit. Gene was attracted to Hawkins's gym-honed physique, long, curly mullet and dazzling charisma, while Hawkins hoped Gene could help him become a millionaire before he turned 30.
1: I'd like him to help me with that too.
0: Oh, no, that ship has sailed, my friend. And sank. It was a very long time ago.
1: Despite Hawkins' reputation as an insatiably titty-hungry pussyhound, <laughs> according to his co-workers... <laughs>
0: <laughs> it just sounded great in your voice.
1: According to his co-workers, one of the owners of Studio 54, Steve Rebell, had a gigantic crush on him and the two had a secret, sensuous sexual relationship. It is rumoured that because of these dalliances, Hawkins was soon elevated to working behind the velvet rope and the exclusive Beyond Belief Studio 54 VIP bar, reserved for celebrity regulars like Liza Minnelli, Cher, David Bowie and Barney Black. <laughs>
0: They wouldn't let you clean the toilets there. No, hey, I can, yeah, yeah. I love no, me. you know what? They would have loved. They would have loved you, Barney. You could have come in in a pair of silver jorts. You could have ridden in on a white horse in a pair of silver jorts, the cowboy hat on. Just I going, did. hey baby.
1: You were there. I was. I did that. A co-worker at Studio 54 said Barney was awesome and, ha- and Hawkins bought large glass bottles, each containing 500 Quaaludes, to work with him, care of Gene and Hawkins' mutual friend, Dr Boggs. Hawkins paid Boggs $2 a pill and onsold them for 20
0: bucks each. You know, a co-worker of his at Studio 54 was Alec Baldwin. Maybe he's the one who said that.
1: Maybe. <laughs> Dr Boggs had met Hawkins in 1981 through the L.A. party scene. As well as illegally selling him quaaludes, he also provided the narcissistic bodybuilder with all the steroids his shrunken little testicles could take.
0: <laughs> God!
1: Wow, that was great, wasn't it? That the was tiny
0: fun. testicles are coming from inside your mouth. <laughs> the tiny you? testicles
1: are coming from inside <laughs> your mouth.
0: John Hawkins Jr. was born on February 6, 1963 in St. Louis to a 17-year-old mother. He played all manner of ball sports and was a natural athlete. School was not nearly exciting enough for him and he dropped out in 11th grade. Not wanting to have to do manual labor like his father, making money became young Hawkins's main priority. He put his good looks and dreamy blue eyes to work by becoming a salesman.
1: He was good at it. I hear you could sell ice to polar bears.
0: Oh, polar bears have enough problems without adding ice to the mix. That's
1: a real problem for um, polar bears. Yeah, amphetamine.
0: I know. Hawkins also apparently became a high-priced sex worker. That's according to his mum and some other people he knew.
1: He was probably a (laughs) low-paid sex worker, and his mum was just talking him up.
0: Oh, you know what? That could be the case. Men would pay up to $5,000 to spend the night with Hunky Hawkins, but he kept this side of his life firmly on the DL and possibly overcompensated by talking about skirt-chasing 24-7.
1: Hey, baby. Other interesting points to note about Hawkins include the fact he had a pet cat that he named after himself.
0: Oh, get the fuck off the bench, John
1: Hawkins. Stop pissing on the rug, John Hawkins. He also liked to work out in front of a mirror, so he could get off watching his muscles ripple as he lifted things. Hawkins or, and and Sarah, mm-hmm. Hawkins always put six straws in his drinks because he thought it brought him good luck. Mm. Now we didn't realize that killing turtles and seabirds could win you such karmic favors.
0: I don't think it can.
1: On at least one occasion, he paid for a girlfriend to get breast implants.
0: Well, it can be a tad embarrassing when your buff boyfriend is more well-endowed than you are.
1: He also had some mummy issues. A girlfriend of his named Amy Blizzard is quoting as telling the Dispatch newspaper, I just thought it was sort of a strange relationship. He told me once he really liked my body because it reminded him of his mother's. Hawkins had once faked being hit by a car for insurance money. A friend took out insurance on the car and, after some careful choreography, drove the car down the street slowly while Hawkins stepped out in front of it. Ow! Although he was not injured, Hawkins' medical examination was performed by Dr Boggs. He diagnosed him with severe neck and back injuries. Hawkins got $25,000 in fake medical claims for his effort. And, of course, Boggsy got a cut of it.
0: In early 1985, Hawkins and Jean scammed an insurance company out of $100,000. First, they rented a swanky apartment for $5,000 a month, and then they filled it to the brim with fancy ass rented paintings and furniture. A couple of months later, they rented two identical moving vans. They hired removalists to fill one up with all the expensive furnishings. Then Hawkins took them out to lunch. The removalists, that is, not the vans. While they were away, Gene did a switcheroo. He swapped the van that was full of furnishings with the empty one. After the movers went on their way, Hawkins and Gene drove the empty van to a seedy part of town. Hawkins locked Gene in the back of it and left it there. When the police responded to Gene's banging and yelling, he squealed that he'd been robbed. Stop being robbed! He said two guys with guns kidnapped him, drove him to an undisclosed location, unpacked the truck, and then dumped it with him inside. Not only did Jean and Hawkins get to keep the van full of fancy paintings and furniture, but they also claimed $100,000 in insurance. The pair used this money to start their business, Just Sweats.
1: That's because Just Jorts was already taken.
0: That's the truth.
1: Hawkins and Jean opened their first Just Sweats clothing store in Columbus, Ohio later that year. The shop carried a large range of brightly coloured, funky exercise clothing and became immensely popular amongst the young people, in part due to their classic mid-80s TV commercials. Now, I I love this bit. (laughs) In the ads, a tanned and greased-up Hawkins and his glorious curly mullet, clad in muscle singlets and shorty shorts bops around and plays volleyball with Buffy haired 80s fitness models.
0: Take all my money.
1: I know, it's fantastic. Yeah. Look that up.
0: Yeah, those ads are amazing.
1: Just Sweats was hot property and by 1986, Gene and Hawkins had opened 22 stores in Ohio and Kentucky. But the pair were way more into partying than they were into working and they mismanaged the shit out of their business. A man who worked at Just Sweats described Hawkins as a total wacko and real draggy. Apparently he used to lock himself in the women's toilets at the Just Sweats warehouse for hours at a time and do coke. This did not impress the female warehouse employees who actually needed to go to the dunny. That's the bathroom for you Americans. <laughs> before, before hiring a limo to go out clubbing, Hawkins would clean out the Just Sweat store cash register and leave an IOU that he had no intention of paying. When their stores became cash poor, he and Jean started selling off their business assets. Hawkins' dream was for it to be spring break every day. He wanted to sell Just Sweats, buy a big-ass boat and start a booze cruise with gambling facilities in Hawaii. In Hawaii! <laughs> but he and Jean couldn't sell the company because they'd fucked up the finances so bad it wouldn't stand up to an audit. So these shysters came up with a cunning plan to get them out of their self-made financial shitstorm. They decided to fake Gene's death to collect on the insurance money.
0: Gene started applying for life insurance policy straight away. He ultimately attained several policies totaling $1.5 million and named Hawkins as his sole beneficiary. He also cut his family out of his will and named Hawkins as the sole beneficiary and executor. Gene told people he was dying, but he didn't even start off with a consistent story. He told some people he was dying of AIDS and others that he had a bad heart condition. He began coming into work looking bedraggled and unkempt and told co-workers his doctor wanted him to change his bizarre diet of pizza and eggs, ditch his hard partying lifestyle and cut back on the four packs of cigarettes a day that he smoked. In early 1988, when the duplicitous duo were ready to launch their plan into action, they sent the Just Sweats accountant overseas on a business trip. This left Gene free to steal $1.8 million from the company before he scampered off to California. This brings us back to the bad doctor.
1: Ah, Dr. Dickie Bird Boggs.
0: The body of the man who died in Boggs' office was released to John Hawkins on April 17th he had it cremated as soon as was possible, and for the next three months, Hawkins and his majestic mullet were solely focused on collecting the insurance money. He was waiting for $1 million from two policies with Farmer's New World Life Insurance, $450,000 from Golden Rule Insurance, and fifty dollars from Jean's car payment insurance policy. Farmer's New World Life Insurance gave Hawkins a cheque for $1 million on July 7th. He took the news like a frat boy, all woohoo, high fives and proclamations of I got my money. He promptly cashed it and went out to celebrate.
1: The Dispatch newspaper started investigating this case when they learned of a lawsuit filed by Farmers New World Life Insurance against John B. Hawkins. They wanted to get the $1 million they had paid him back after figuring out the man who died on April 16th in Dr Boggs' office was not Melvin Hansen. An insurance company representative had compared the pictures of Gene and his fingerprints to those of the corpse and found they didn't match. The dead man was obviously younger than Gene. He also had more hair and a different bone structure. He looked pretty goddamn different.
0: Yeah, but you know, the prints not matching is kind of a big
2: deal.
1: Yeah, the only similarities were that they both fit the description on Gene's license. When interviewed by the dispatch, a representative of Farmers Insurance told them Dr. Boggs was definitely involved in the scam, as he'd given Gene a clean bill of health and then a few months later claimed he had a terrible heart problem. When asked what they thought happened to the dead man, the insurance company rep said he was probably injected with something that induced a heart attack. Fearing the insurance company and the law were closing in on him, Hawkins withdrew $400,000 from the Just Sweats accounts and fled to Amsterdam in mid-July. Once in Europe, he bought a boat so he could travel freely without crossing borders. Nailed it! Hawkins told his friends that he would sold Just Sweats and was going to travel around the world. He had been the sole owner of Just Sweats and was massively in debt and hounded by creditors when he abandoned the company. He told his employees he was going on a buying trip for a couple of days and just never came back. This left Just Sweats in such dire straits that they couldn't even sign a cheque as nobody was authorised to do so. Eventually Hawkins sent a letter giving his ex-girlfriend and Just Sweats employee Melissa Mann's power of attorney. With no other recourse, Just Sweats, under new leadership, filed for bankruptcy.
0: Eleven days after Hawkins disappeared, they found his blue Mercedes parked at the airport's short-term car park. He'd left it with the sunroof down and the keys in the ignition. It had been raining and the convertible was full of water.
1: Pop in a couple of koi fish and you've got yourself a very expensive mobile pond, Tara.
0: Yes, handy. After they realised they'd been scammed, Farmers Insurance hired a PI named Vince Volpe to track down the missing Gene Hansen and John Hawkins. A freelance bounty hunter, probably named Boba Fett, was also looking for them, hoping for a reward. To avoid being recognised, and also for vanity reasons, after faking his death, Gene Hansen had face-altering plastic surgery. The plastic surgeon gave him an eye lift and removed some wrinkles from his cheeks. Gene was going to get his jaw done too, but he wouldn't quit smoking, so the surgeon refused to operate more on him. Gene got himself a new identity and started living as Wolfgang Eugene Von Snowden, which is a majestically subtle pseudonym. It's not really. It isn't, is it? Count Wolfgang Eugene Von Snowden lived in an expensive beachfront penthouse in Miami. On the lease, he listed his real former address in Columbus, and his referees were Dr. Boggs and Hawkins, which made it easy to pick up his trail. Jean had moved to an area with a lot of German immigrants and pretended to be German himself. Unfortunately, he could barely speak any German and it didn't take long for all the German people to notice and say, Nein! Jesus, Gene, you're not very good at this.
1: Mm, Kadapulov. Surely there was a book he could have borrowed from the library about how to convincingly start a new identity.
0: Oh, I don't think Jean was much of a reader.
1: After reviewing missing persons reports, the police were able to ascertain the dead man found on the floor of Dr Boggs' office was 31-year-old accounting assistant Alice Henry Green. This discovery made the coroner change their cause of death from heart attack to undetermined causes, which allowed a homicide investigation to be launched by Glendale Police. One of the first things the cops in California did when they started their investigation was to call Robin Yokum from the Dispatch newspaper to ask for copies of he and Candisky's articles on the case. Ellis Green was last seen on the night of April 15th at the Buffet Club Bar in North Hollywood. A missing persons report had been filed by his aunt, who he stayed with sometimes, but because he was of no fixed address at the time of his murder, it was over a week after his death before the missing person report was filed. Alice Green grew up as one of seven children in eastern Ohio. Uninspired by academia, he dropped out of high school and joined the army, but was soon discharged after a month for reasons. Ellis had worked a series of jobs such as a cook, a street cleaner and a hospital aide. In 1979, he married a woman named Joanne Rawlins, but it was to be a short-lived union. Their marriage fell apart soon after the couple moved to LA in 1982. Joanne said the destruction of their relationship was due to Alice's heavy drinking, but there may also have been other factors at play. Just like Boggs, Alice came out as gay after his divorce. He was a fixture in gay bars and on the LA party circuit. When he was strapped for cash, he sometimes earned money doing sex work. His autopsy showed he had HIV, but it's believed Ellis didn't know about it.
0: Shortly before his death, Ellis had excitedly told friends that he had a wealthy doctor boyfriend who was going to back his business venture. He was hoping to make his fortune baking cheesecakes from his mum's recipe. Ellis spent the last night of his life bar hopping with friends. They dropped him off at the Bullet Club before heading home. The bartender refused to serve him as he said he was too drunk and having trouble walking.
1: I've been kicked out of bars for being too lovely. Maybe he was too lovely.
0: Maybe he was just too lovely, like Barney. Around that time, a phone call charged to Boggs' credit card was made from a payphone two blocks from where Ellis was last seen. At 6am on the morning of Ellis' death, Hawkins' phone records showed that he'd called a hotel two blocks from Boggs' office and was put through to the room of a certain Baron Wolfgang von Snowden.
1: I thought he was a count.
0: He's all the things. This proved that Gene had been in Glendale when Ellis was murdered. Uh, it also showed that Hawkins had been in Ohio at the time. Gene had flown into LA the day before and was picked up by Boggs. They smashed some tacos at a Mexican restaurant, then went out to the gay bars in LA looking for someone to murder who fit Gene's physical description, though it sounds like they already had their eyes on Ellis.
1: Now, when you say smash tacos... In a Mexican restaurant, uh-huh. what do they just throw them against the wall? Or I was they- thinking that
0: they ate them with their mouths, but you know, maybe that's just how I do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Weirdo.
0: Investigators believe that in the early hours of April sixteenth, Boggs and Jean lured Ellis Green to Boggs's office and killed him, either by smothering him or injecting him with an undetectable drug. Later in the day, Jean flew back to Miami. When asked how she thought Jean and Boggs were able to lure Ellis into their clutches, his ex-wife Joanne said, He was the type of person who would do anything for you. He might have met those guys in a bar and they gave him a hard luck story and he would have done anything for them.
1: On July 28, 1988, Jean, in a move more stupid than trying to deep fry your own brain, rented a cottage in the name of the man he murdered, Ellis Henry Green. Later the same day, he opened a bank account in Alice Green's name as well. When Boggs' office and house were searched, cops found some incriminating evidence, including the stun gun he used on Barry Pomeroy, along with whips, chains and pictures of his young Swedish live-in toy boy.
0: Sexy pictures.
1: Ten months after the murder of Alice Green, the Los Angeles District Attorney charged Dr Boggs, John Hawkins and Gene Hanson with ten criminal counts, Including insurance fraud, grand theft, and murder. Warrants were issued for their arrests. Boggs was arrested at his office later that day and indignantly proclaimed to anyone who was in earshot that he was innocent. He claimed Alice Green had posed as Gene Hansen for the past seven years to fool him for no apparent reason and demanded the press find out why.
0: Well, yes, that's uh, quite plausible. No, it isn't, it's ridiculous. <laughs>
1: Dr Boggs claimed that he didn't kill Alice, he said he was already dead. He also said that he only took part in the insurance fraud scheme because Gene threatened to out him as gay. Luds revealed the three had been in pretty much daily contact on the phone in the weeks before and after the murder. Dr Arshat Boggs was found guilty on all counts and was sentenced to life in prison.
0: In February 1989, two customs agents at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport asked to speak with a man they considered to be a potential drug smuggler, as he looked too nervous to be a tourist just back from a vacation in Acapulco. According to the agents, the man wore a blonde hairpiece and was anxiously chain-smoking and shoving boiled eggs and pizza into his mouth as he waited beside the baggage carousel. It was Gene Hansen, although he showed the agents a license in the name of George Soul. When they searched his belongings, they found Gene was carrying $14,000 in cash, which was considerably more than the $10,000 he was allowed to have. He acted so nervous they figured that there was something he was hiding besides his bald noggin and questioned him further. Gene had 14 different IDs on him, including Ellis Green's driver's license. Are oh, you going to like this, Barney. He also had in his possession a long overdue library book called How to Change Your Identity. I told you, he should have got, got that book. Yeah, I know, but he should have actually read the damn thing, uh, don't well, you think? yeah, I guess. As well as possessing Ellis Green's driver's licence, he also had his chequebook and assorted bills made out to Ellis. Jean vehemently denied ever meeting Ellis Green and refused to explain how he came to be in possession of his documents and his bank details. The agents also found two photos, big photos, of John Hawkins amongst his belongings. Now, it was rumoured that Gene and Hawkins were lovers, which could explain why he carried headshots of him around.
1: It could, you know. Like, I always keep a a picture of my girlfriend in my wallet, you know, just for those long months at sea.
0: Yeah, I I carry um, two professionally done headshots of my boyfriend on my person at all times. (laughs) Hmm. Life-size.
1: Meanwhile, Hawkins, like a stupid novelty top hat, was still on the lam. He cut off his glorious mullet, dyed his hair black and started wearing huge glasses as a disguise. He also experimented with different kinds of facial hair, you know, like hair on your nose.
0: (laughs) Yeah, oh, sexy.
1: None of this dampened the pants five anyone, though, and he continued to romance his way around Europe. Hawkins initially planned to have face-altering plastic surgery too, but he couldn't bear to mess much with his face.
0: Oh, his face, his beautiful face. Oh, no.
1: However, he did have lip injections to make his lips fuller during a visit to Canada.
0: Oh, well, they won't let you into the country if your lips are a little unfull, will they? That's
1: a visa condition, right. I think. Well, it
0: was in the, the early 90s. Hmm.
1: On July 14, 1991, a woman in the Netherlands watched an episode of Oprah Winfrey that featured a clip of America's Most Wanted. And it showed a picture of Hawkins. The Dutch woman's clogs flew off (laughs) because she realised she had met him the previous summer in Ibiza. She called the FBI and told them she had dated him for a while. The fact she knew something that had never been mentioned in the press made them believe her story. And you'll love this, Tara. (laughs) She told the FBI that Hawkins lacked pigmentation on a part of his penis which gave it white spots.
0: Ah, partially albino spotty todger. That's the name of my fourth album. I know. I sang backup vocals on most of the songs.
1: <laughs> I think Cape Soprano was there.
0: <laughs> Kate Soprano's right here, right now, in this studio.
1: Hawkins had got himself a bright red 40-foot catamaran named Carpe Diem.
0: Car the Carpe Diem.
1: Named the Carpe Diem. S- the Sees the Day. Yes. It's a stupid name. It's does not sing
0: Um, is he a smart man? <laughs> Do you think that he only, like, names boats things that make sense? Do you think anyone only names boats things that make sense, Barney?
1: Well, he used that Carpe Diem to sail around Europe. Clad in a flimsy orange muscle shirt, Hawkins was arrested in Sardinia around midnight on August 2nd, 1991. During his arrest, he punched an Italian officer and tried to escape, but the officer managed to grab him by his orange muscle shirt and pull him to the ground.
0: Ah, oh, see, quality workmanship on those Just Sweat's orange muscle shirts. That was actually his downfall.
1: Uh, that's right. I would have liked to have seen that foot chase along those docks in Sardinia. It though. would have
0: been cool. You can see pictures of him after the arrest in the orange muscle shirt.
1: Is it torn a little bit on the armpit because that's where he grabbed him?
0: Ah, uh, you can't tell. It's kind of from the nips up.
1: No. Nah, pity. Yeah, pity. When authorities searched the boat, the Capa Diem, they found 19 pieces of ID, all in different names. They all featured pictures of Hawkins with different looks.
0: Oh, right. So in one of them, he's like a a jaunty sailor.
1: And in one, he's a sad clown. He's got great range. He does
0: have range. Remember the one where he's he's a pizza chef?
1: Yeah, that was pretty good.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Well, the, yeah, there's lots of racial stereotypes. Isn't he dressed in an American Indian thing with his arms crossed? Well, he's I don't actually... agree with the appropriation <laughs> of that kind of thing. You
0: know what it is? He, well, obviously there were five, or well, more than five. Um, village people ones. Yeah, he, he was a cop, and he was this he was construction that. worker. Yeah, podcaster. Yeah. Podcaster. Oh uh, yeah. Well, that one he just looked a bit sallow, like he didn't leave the house much. <laughs>
1: After his arrest, officers searched the content of his pants and found he did indeed have a partially albino spotty dodger.
0: Yet another criminal undone by hubris and a spotty dick.
1: <laughs> Classic tale.
0: Yes, yeah, indeed. Tale as old as time. On August 8th, 1995, Gene Hansen went on trial. He claimed he was innocent of murder and said that he thought Dr Boggs was just going to find them a cadaver to use to fake his death with. The jury saw through his attempts to hoodwink them and convicted him of murder and insurance fraud. He received a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. On August 10th the same year, it was Hawkins and his spotty knobs turn to go to trial. Few people actually remember this case um, because it was going on while everyone was completely obsessed with the O.J. Simpson trial.
1: Spotty knob though.
0: I know, I think that's an interesting detail personally but that probably just speaks volumes about us. Volumes. Volumes of spotty knobs. The Tara Saraban story. (laughs) Like Gene, Hawkins claimed that Dr Boggs was supposed to use a cadaver, not kill anyone. He spoke of the alleged plan in court, saying, The doctor would purchase a cadaver from a medical school or a teaching hospital, identify the body as my business partner, sign the death certificate, natural causes, and send the body to a mortuary. My role was to have the body cremated, scatter the ashes at sea and collect the insurance money. So Hawkins got lucky due to lack of evidence and the state dropped the murder charge against him. Hawkins was found guilty of insurance fraud and sentenced to 25 years to life.
1: How long did his knob get?
0: His knob knob only got 12 years, so his knob got out like way before Hawkins did. Oh, right. Yeah, he didn't know what to do with himself. He just jumped around on the ground a little bit.
1: His knob's lying on a beach somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Ignoring a book and trying to get a tan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In May 2003, Dr Richard P. Boggs died of a heart attack while serving his life sentence in a state prison. At the time of his death, Boggs was HIV positive and had been diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer. In March 2012, Hawkins won early release from Donovan State Prison in San Diego. This was partially due to his participation in the Convicts Reaching Out to People program, which was designed to help teens stay out of trouble with the law. In interviews with him since his release, Hawkins says he's turned his life around and is trying to counsel Tino just to stay on the right side of the law.
0: He also wrote a book called The Amazing Weight Loss Formula, which uh, features a picture of him shirtless on it. He's like, you know what? Muscle shirts are so 90s. I'm just going to go nips out for this one.
1: And it involves uh, pizza and uh, boiled egg. A lot of boiled
0: eggs. It's pretty much all you eat. Pizza, boiled eggs, bit of chain smoking, you'll get that body. You'll get that body you want. The most recent update we could find about Gene Hansen was that he was still alive and incarcerated at the California Men's Colony.
1: That sounds like a nice place. <laughs>
0: You'd probably like you it. You probably there. isn't. <laughs> no, I...
1: Well, Tara, what a story.
0: It was indeed. So many twists and turns and so much scamming.
1: Spotty Todgers, pizza and egg diets. It had uh, it all. Plastic
0: surgery. Plastic surgery. Fake identities, ridiculous names.
1: Uh, jet ski chases.
0: Oh, yeah. That was my favourite bit.
1: Yeah. Especially when they went over those ramps, over those canals.
0: Oh, yeah. I really awesome. like the music that was playing then, too.
1: I have but one question. Yeah? What is Aussie-az?
0: Aussie-az? are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one, Barney?
1: I would. I've been waiting for so long.
0: As we all know, there are a lot of freaky animals that can kill you in Australia. Some people really focus on the deadly spiders, and I get it. They're big, they're crawly and bitey. And if you're like our mate Dave, sometimes you wake up with a huge one in your open mouth. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm more terrified of snakes. See, you can squish a spider with your bare hands if you have to, but snakes you need a weapon for. I shall illustrate this point. Shortly before Christmas last year, just five days after the Thompson family had moved into their new home in Arley Beach, North Queensland, they had a housewarming party to celebrate. They invited a bunch of snakes over and everyone had a good time. No, they didn't. They spent the afternoon relaxing by the pool and having a few beers with friends. they decided to head inside the house when they heard their four-year-old son Clifford's blood-curdling screams. Evan Thompson told the Korea Mail that he ran back out to see what all the commotion was about and saw a massive 5-metre or 15-foot-long scrub python had a hold of Clifford. Tomo told Press, "'It was just a massive snake. Its head was very big and latched onto his leg. At that stage, he was holding onto the side of the boardwalk and it was just pulling him into the bush. I knew I didn't have time to grab a stick or anything. I just pretty much had to react then and there.' I knew I had to do something, so I ran straight up and punched the snake straight in the head. What a bloody legend. Damn straight. He went on to say, it let go, which was great, but as soon as it's let go, it's curled right back and went straight and bit him again on the upper right leg. Horrified, Tomo noticed that little Clifford's leg was getting cut up by the snake's teeth as it tried to drag him away and the little boy held onto the railing for dear life. So Tomo did what any hot-blooded Aussie parent would do in this situation. He grabbed the snake's head, top jaw in one hand, bottom jaw in the other, and pried its mouth open as hard as he could. When the snake's head popped off Clifford, bleeding and in shock, the little battler made a run for it. But Snakey McSnakeface wasn't done yet. The snake dropped back down and tried to get back onto the boardwalk and chase after Clifford. Tomo recalled... I had to run around, grab it on the tail and just pull this thing away from Clifford as it was constantly trying to get back at him. At that stage, I'm screaming out, I can't do this on my own! Thankfully, Tomo's mate grabbed a sledgehammer from the shed and hit the snake several times to stop its pursuit of Clifford. The ordeal lasted around five minutes, but I bet it felt like 72 hours. If I wasn't there at the time, this snake could have killed him. It could have killed my kid easily, Tomo said. It was probably one of the biggest ones I've ever seen. They are not renowned for being so ballsy. It was quite hectic. Tomo said he was telling his son's story as a warning to other families. Look, this is the last thing you'd think going to happen. It was quite brutal. It could happen to other children. Clifford was rushed to Mackay Hospital for a deep leg laceration and has been coping well in the wake of his traumatic ordeal. Tomo Tomo assured the media, oh, he's recovering well. He's got a few stitches and some bruising and whatnot. But we couldn't be more proud of the way he's come back from this. We at Bloody Murder think the lesson here is if you want your children to live past four, maybe don't live in Australia. And if you do... Have your anti-snake sledgehammer close by at all times.
1: Yeah, that's a good lesson. You're right.
0: Oh, terrifying. Um, also, Tomo had a three-year-old daughter as well who was smaller than Clifford. He was just like, oh, God damn. Like, that's why he had to kill it. He was, he was saying that he, they wouldn't have killed it if the first time they got it off him, it had just gone. But yeah. the fact that it was just determined to try and eat the child. It was hungry. Meant that, Maybe you it was hungry. It was probably angry. Hey,
1: Hey, you remember that film Anaconda?
0: Yeah, yeah, I actually watched it recently. But I, with the volume I, I don't down.
1: remember it. It's, it was pretty shit. But yeah,
0: I had the volume down and we were drinking yeah. and talking and watching it. It's bad, isn't it? Yeah, But that's kind of like
1: that. They could, maybe Anaconda 2 could be based on, this, I think,
0: Yeah, this, the story of uh, the survival think, of Clifford and Tomo's heroicism.
1: Actually, I think there's already an Anaconda 2. Oh, Anaconda there's 3, probably then. like seven. Yeah.
0: But um, my God, how horrifying would that be? Bloody legend is all I can say.
1: Wow, well, I agree. Now, this brings us to the end of the episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews.
0: So thank you to 180 dutman from the United States.
1: We've got Sergeant Awesome, also from the United States.
0: We've got 1K872 from Australia.
1: Charlie McCall. Adam Cook. Joe Elliott.
0: Heath Garwood.
1: Kim Buckholtz.
0: And Casey Clark. We'd also like to thank our Facebook moderating team.
1: Hey, Tara, we love our patrons and in an attempt to show them how much we do love them, we're holding monthly giveaways.
0: In December last year, we gave away a Bloody Murder Hey Baby t-shirt to Amanda Richards and January's lucky winner of the Bloody Murder Tropical Travel t-shirt was Leah Mills. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. This month... oh, <laughs> Wait, what? what? Oh, I know you weren't saying it to me. I meant like thank- thanking them for being patrons. Like, come on. This month we're giving away a set of funky Bloody Murder fridge magnets.
1: They stick on your
0: fridge. How do they do that?
1: Nobody knows.
0: To win, just join our Bloody Murder Patreon at a level of $5 or above. Um, Though you can gain access to our extra episodes and all of our um, swanky and delirious early episodes for as little as a dollar a month.
1: Thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons.
0: Now, um, there are so many right now because we're phasing out our Podbean patron program and many of these wonderful folks have moved their pledge with us over to Patreon. If you're a patron, you should have got an email. If you didn't get it, please check your spam or get in touch. So some of these patrons are new and some are continuing and we love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for your loyalty and your uh, support.
1: So thank you to Deep Breath, (laughs) Beera Talbot,
0: Angela Tipper
1: Aussie Amanda
0: Ballastrin,
1: Brock Stanford
0: Courtney Moyler.
1: Denise Martin
0: Devon
1: Dobby, hey girl
0: Dorothy Rose
1: Dumpster Clown Was
0: that you? Are you the dumpster I'm clown? I'm not the dumpster clown <laughs> Emma Ruth Eric Berry Felicia Palmer
1: Fiona Griffin, hey there
0: Gina Ferenzi Hannah Heather Powers
1: Jamie Zahle
0: Janelle Alters
1: Janelle Clark
0: Jay Barnes
1: Joanne Welmsley.
0: Jodie Mussolino.
1: John, just John.
0: Julie Capel.
1: Karen Hodges. Kat. Kate.
0: Katherine Knox.
1: Casey Jono.
0: Kirsten Courtright.
1: Leah Heinrich.
0: Lorraine Ledwell. She's everywhere.
1: Maria Alina.
0: Melissa Wilson.
1: Michael Cady.
0: Molly Smith.
1: Paul Lusignani.
0: Ray Gaither.
1: Rob Ford.
0: Shelby Fisher.
1: Tanisha Hine.
0: Tanya Oh. Terry Allen. Thomas White guess Tommy Sheridan, Tracy Stewart,
1: and the beautiful Wendy Byrne.
0: Oh my lord, Oof. how lucky are we, huh?
1: If you would like to support us, visit our website, or if you just want to buy us a drink because we're thirsty, there's a PayPal donate button there too.
0: And who's buying the drinks this week, Barney?
1: Well, Tara, it's the lovely Ellison Schafermeyer.
0: She's bought us quite a few rounds. Nice She does. One.
1: Well, she wrote, uh, Tara and Barney, thank you so much for all the grins, heartbreaking tales, chuckles and reminders that humanity is still in the fight and not likely to give in.
0: I like that that's what she gets from this podcast. <laughs> Are you sure she's not listening to a different no, podcast no, and she thinks very, it's us?
1: No, we're very hopeful.
0: We're life-affirming in our tales of death.
1: Allison goes on to write, may your new year be a blasty blast and may your talent continue to be well acknowledged. Thank you for your kindness and friendship. Cheers. Oh, Aww. thank you. Allison. that means a lot to us. Yeah.
0: Thank
1: you. I've been Barney Black.
0: And I've been Tara Saravan.
1: And this is Bloody Murder.
0: Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcast or our Facebook page.
1: And of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us.
0: You could join our Facebook group or follow our page. On Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod. And on Instagram, we're bloody underscore murder underscore podcast.
1: Check out our revamped website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for news galleries, more episodes, and merchandise.
0: Thanks for sticking around, and we'll be back very soon.
1: Goodbye and adios.
0: And keep kicking against the pricks. Hey, so it's ridiculously. Hot here in Melbourne today, so we had to hire a studio again. So thank you, patron money.
1: And thank you to Wick Studios. They're always lovely.
0: They are always lovely here. And was to turn the aircon outside. Yeah. And you know what? I don't know if this will mean anything to them. But when I was um, out near the bar, I saw Kate Sobrano because she's recording here today.
1: Well, I saw Bruce Springsteen in the in the shitter.
0: You did not see Bruce Springsteen I saw it, in I the saw shitter.
1: something that looked like him.
0: Was it your poo? Are you saying that you did a poo that looked like Bruce Springsteen?
1: I uh, know someone else's.
0: Someone else's poo that looked like Bruce Springsteen. Why were you looking at it, Marnie?
1: Well, it, it was it was it, it was singing. It was born to run. <laughs> <laughs>
0: did it have legs? She didn't it was, have more legs than this segment has right now. Uh, I
1: guess it was a runny poo. Oh, oh God, no. I, Get out I, of here. I tried to like
0: oh talk no. about something that wasn't poo. And you started straight. it. Oh, really? You I started it. You brought up this it.
1: Kate Sobrano stuff.
0: That had nothing to
1: and do with uh, it. And then obviously I'm going to segue into a poo that looks oh, like Bruce Springsteen. for God's
0: sake. Come God. on. Can you believe anyone missed us if this
1: is what we're oh, saying? it's hey. It's, it's, we're like this.
0: <laughs> I know, we tried not to you be that. You bring there, out the worst to me, Tara. <laughs> Good.
1: Hey, Allison, we're going to um, go and drink those beers Oh, my God, Thanks. I haven't
0: had a drink in over a week, so I'm speaking. Yeah. Also, it's just so hot. <laughs> oh, but hey, we did
2: it. We did it!
1: Stick around for some outtakes. Wouldn't that be great to be married to a nurse? When you when you're on the couch watching a cricket and you know you have to have a shower, you just go give us a SpongeBob. Give us a SpongeBob.
0: <laughs> really? Is that where this is going to go? You us- have some weird cartoon fantasy while you're naked watching cricket. Give us a SpongeBob, thanks, love. Oh, I, I would imagine she wouldn't want to bring her uh, her work home with her, you know.
1: She would have if she was married to me. You think? That's right.
0: Really? Does your does your uh, girlfriend Can- like giving you SpongeBob? Can
1: I fluff your pillow there, Barney? That'd be lovely. <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> this is all lies. So many lies. pies. that's what we call them.
1: <sighs> Neither of the cots... Sorry. <laughs> Although I guess it means he did know a lot of stuff about elephants.
0: Hey, you know I actually messaged Dr Jiggles and asked her how common it is for someone to have a BA in zoology and become a doctor. And you know what she said? What? Nothing, because she never texted me back. Get your shit together, Dr. Jiggles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you're our source of medical knowledge.
0: She's, a, she's got a doctorate in neuroscience and she treats patients with her boobs and she won't text me back. How rude. I know. Come on, Dr. Jiggles. Don't you love me anymore.
1: Boggs fought a fancy-ass Tudor mansion and he had nearly... Bo- I, I I got it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I do like the idea of him fighting a two dimension, though. <laughs> Barney got no time for outtakes. <laughs> this I is was, serious, Barney. I was on a roll. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to ruin you. You, you know it's me. It's
1: done now. I'm ruined. Ha <laughs> ha. Suck it. I will later. Oh, what is
0: that? Mm. What was it? It's fluff. Ah. I thought it would be a spider or something. We're in Australia. Microphone. I mean, surely it's some kind of deadly jellyfish on your microphone. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Hang on, you are the deadly jellyfish on yeah. your microphone. Why are you rubbing your nipples? Why do you do that? He stares at me and he rubs his nipples and, and that's how he thinks. That's Barney's thinking position, staring at me rubbing his nips. Is it? I, I'm going to do it back to you. Oh no, that just makes me really feel weird. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> yeah,
1: in your face.
0: Oh damn! I have no such constraints. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> oh, I can see that. <sighs> you fucking creep. I've
1: got something in my mouth. It's another dick in my mouth. Those <laughs> Dicks.
0: It's like the dicks are coming from inside your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the dicks are coming
1: from inside your mouth. <laughs> there's a dick in the house, there's a dick in the mum and, and possibly <laughs> going to go in my mouth. They're coming from inside your mouth.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I had in mind. Thanks for fleshing it out. You see how, why we work so well together as yeah, a team? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a perfect example. Can we put that in our new promo? <laughs> that's coming from
1: inside your mouth.
0: Listen to Bloody Murder on all your favourite podcasts. <laughs>
1: Employees at his office said he had sex worker boys come in for
0: appointments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the you Barney's voice broke.
1: While Barney, uh, while Barney waited patiently outside.
0: <laughs> yeah, you would be waiting outside while Where's the Barney happening. Come on. The Barney is coming from inside the digs.
1: Yes, I've got some serious FOMO going on. <laughs>
0: How come when I go visit the doctor it doesn't take as long and it doesn't sound nearly as fun?
1: Why do I speak like that when I'm waiting to see Dr Bogsy?
0: I don't know, but I don't like it.
1: And maybe this is the way I talk now.
0: Well, if you're going to... <coughs> maybe this is the way we both talk now, eh? Eh? hey? you like a bit of that in your ears? <laughs> yeah, buddy. This, yeah. is, this
1: <laughs> is the Bloody Murder podcast and... Maybe the dick is coming from inside your mouth. It <laughs> <The> contains murder. <better. coughs> I don't think I should talk like this. Anymore. No, no,
0: it makes you cough. Hey, I feel like coughing too.
1: Well Barney waited patiently outside.
0: <laughs> You're always the dog at the Llama, Roger, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well Barney patiently waited outside. The good doctor will be curing I can't do that, can I?
0: Curing himself of the horniness that ailed him. <laughs> I like it better that way, but it's not true.
1: He paid the young men for their services and also billed their insurance companies for payments as well. Getting laid and getting paid. It's the Dr Bogsy way. (laughs) Hey, baby. Hey, baby.
0: (laughs) Do you got an appointment, baby?
1: I think I should do that properly. (laughs) Getting laid and getting paid. It's the Dr bogg's way.
0: I think I liked it better the first time, but, hey, we'll see. Hey, baby, it's getting <laughs> and getting
1: paid. It's the Dr. Bud's away. <laughs> and
0: a dick's coming from an inside your mouth. I don't have anything to say. <laughs> I don't know. I really, no, it's really hot and, and I think I'm done.
1: Hey, baby, I got a new children. <laughs> Is it the ball coin?
0: No, it's from under your arms. Oh, no, you're taking advantage of my weakness to try and make this all full of dad jokes, aren't you? Uh. All
2: right, keep going, fuck over. Oh, do I keep going? <laughs> yes.
0: Barry went pale to the core when Kathy Kandisky from the ditch patch, <laughs> from the bitch patch,
1: that's, that's where you live. You live in the bitch patch. I live
0: in the cunt patch, motherfucker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> who was that dead man on the bog's floor? <laughs> well, according to the ID... On the,
0: on the bog's floor. Who was
1: that dead man on the bog's floor?
0: On Dr Bog's floor. <laughs> On the bogs floor. It's a
1: bogs in a bucket.
0: Right, who, who was a dead man who bogs you in the bucket? Who was
1: the bogs man <laughs> in the dead man on the floor.
0: In the bucket. He
1: was the bucket of the bogs <laughs> in the floor.
0: I am the very bucket of a bogsy modern general. Who was the dead man on the
1: bogs floor? Yes. Gene Hansen was born on October 8th, 1941, in Ocala, Florida. His parents broke up when he was two years old and his little brother Donald was fucking something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And his little brother was a baby who was fucking Donald Duck.
1: Donald was a duck. (laughs) This complicated matters when Gene realised he was sexually attracted to male men. (laughs)
0: To other males. Everyone's sexually attracted to mailmen, Barney. And And women.
1: It's the uniforms. Mm. Um, I think I said that wrong. I'm going to do that again. Yeah, I think
0: that you did say it wrong, yes. Ah, yeah. It must be like me with cleaning out the fridge.
1: (laughs) Is that what you call it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is cold and dark in there unless someone opens the door. That's when the light comes on.
1: Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, th- that, this is, I'm taking the blame for this. I opened the door and the light con- did not come on.
0: <laughs> you were blinded by the light. You were wrapped up like a douchebag in uh, the middle of was, the night. It
1: was cold and dark in there and I just said, <laughs> I don't ever want to be there again.
0: Don't worry, champ, you won't be.
1: Hey, you know if you didn't like penguins? Yeah. Because a lot of people hate penguins. I'm all right with them. Why would you hate a penguin? Uh, it's pretty common to hate a penguin. Is it
0: because they're always overdressed?
1: Well, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. If you wanted to get rid of pol- uh, penguins, you just introduce polar bears to Antarctica. And then they just eat them.
0: Okay, Mr. Penguin, this is Mr. Polar Bear. He would like to sell you some ice. Is that what happens? <laughs> yeah,
1: and then rum rum no more penguins.
0: Ah. Oh, yum. Aussie are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one, Barney?
1: Oh, I would. I've been waiting for so long.
0: Oh, I know. I could have just read one to you when we were hanging out, but I was like, uh-uh.
1: Well, we didn't hang out, though. You know, we only work together. We don't like friends or anything. Oh,
0: yeah, that's right. Sorry, I forgot. Hateful bastard. <laughs> I want to speak to HR about how you've been behaving on this podcast, Barney. Problem is we don't have one. Maybe I'm HR. Oh, God, he's rubbing his nips again. I'm
1: Barney. not rubbing. I'm squirting milk in your eye. Yeah. But milk. I don't. Oh, no, it's out of my boobs. It's not rude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Breastfeeding is very natural, it's a beautiful thing. But you're not feeding anyone, Barney, because I don't yeah. want any. The following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Licit and discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder.
1: Russian Tara?
0: The following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder.
2: and that it wasn't on and they were using sonic pressure on my head since nineteen ninety seven. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,